Welcome to Soccer 101, the podcast where we scratch the soccer itches you never knew you had. Today, we're looking at a position on the field that's made a comeback in a big way, quite literally in most cases. The number nine. The centre forward has long been a staple of the beautiful game, but how did it evolve? Why did its popularity wane? And why has it re-emerged? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to talk all things number nine, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Graham Rusman, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Hi, Joe Larry. Ahoy. Ahoy, hoy, indeed. Uh, to start things off, gents, quick question for me. Have any of you ever played the number nine position in any meaningful way? Graham, you seem like you are big enough to have done such a thing. Mm, I don't think I ever played number nine. The, the weird thing is, when I played soccer as a teenager, I um, was quite short, actually. So I, I, I kind of grew in my later teenage years. So I was... Uh, a right back or a right midfielder, pretty much anywhere on that on that right side. But I don't think I ever played as a number nine. No, at centre back, I think I played late, late, laterally in high school. I played centre back when I was tall enough for one of those two positions. So they made that call, and they were like, "This guy is not scoring goals, <laughs> centre back for you." <laughs> I think I had a similar uh, evolution in my game too, Graham Taylor. How about you? I did. Uh, as I got older, I was a, a right mid for most of my life, then a right back, uh, and then a center forward, as you do. Uh, and definitely that had to do with my relative lack of speed. So much more of a target hold up, uh, number nine. Uh, Joe Lowry, how about you, sir? Yeah, no, mostly defense for me. Center back and right back were my two go-tos. Never, never played striker, never really wanted to because I'm not keen on embarrassing myself for large periods of time. Oh, that's pretty much my uh, my mo on this podcast. But, uh, <laughs> I, when I, I just, just when make... I picture Joe Lowry playing soccer, I think of uh, this is a deep cut the the Varsity Blues with the reserve quarterback like reading a book instead of reading the playbook. Like he's got a, a book sandwiched inside of the playbook, and I think of Joe looking at a tactics binder. But when you open it up, it's just another tactics binder for different teams. That's how I picture <laughs> Joe playing. <laughs> You're right, it's Taylor, just inverting the pyramid. Cut. Yeah, that is that's what it's going to be. <laughs> Johnny Moxon shaped the way I understood sports. That's all I have to say. Wonderful stuff. Well, how about uh, Taylor? You shaped the way we understand mm-hmm. the number nine position on this here podcast. Could you start us off by giving us a brief history of the position? Get a bit Jonathan Wilson on us, will you? Sure. I will uh, not go so, so far back into like the 1-1-8 formations or whatever they originally were, but I will start with the 2-3-5, that, uh, that pyramid that we, we then inverted. Uh, but that's where we get the literal number nine from, because in the 2-3-5, your two defenders would be number two and number three. Your three midfielders would be four, five, and six. And then you had that front five, and then that would be seven, eight, with the number nine being that central attacker. So that's where that comes from. Uh, and I think that's where it starts. Then we get a change right around 1925 is where my next sort of change comes in, because that's when we have the offside rule changing to two players in front instead of three, yeah. which opened things up a little bit more and allows for some counterattacking play. Yeah. And so you get the shape change, right, Taylor, into that, that more yep. of a three, two, two, three, you get to this, mm-hmm. this different look and you still have the number nine, even in that shape, right? You still have the central attacking player. By that time, you're looking at those players as number nine. So you still have that role. The inside forwards are, are gone. So the inside forwards that you think about in a two, three, five. So imagine that front five back in, really in, in the late 20th. No, yeah, it'd be the late 19th century, early 20th century. You have the inside forwards flanking the number nine. Then in, in sort of the, the front three, the forwards are a little bit wider, and there's two attacking midfielders sort of underneath them, which, which does look a lot like the soccer that we see a, a number of big teams play 
today. So then you're progressing through the 1930s after that rule change. You get ahead a little bit into the 1950s and you're looking at more of a 424 shape, right? Brazil really popularized that 424. And again, the, the orientation is different. The positioning is different. But now you have two number nines, right? The numbers change, and so they're not both going to be literally wearing the number nine, but you have two central attackers, and that can combat playing against back threes, that can take advantage of those certain defensive alignments. So we even see this this role changing all the way back sort of into the mid-20th century. And then, Taylor, there's there's more and more tactical changes and stylistic changes that happen yeah. after that. And And that's kind of my favorite thing about this type of topic, is that there are the people who popularize ideas or get credited with popular popularizing ideas, but oftentimes they were informed by a manager who was informed by a manager who was informed by an Austrian philosopher in a coffee <laughs> shop in the 1930s. Like it's, if you go back far enough, you're going to find a lot of overlap yeah. in ideas. But yeah, I think that is one of my favorite things of soccer history is because you didn't have mass communication as we do today. Things kind of evolved independently in different areas and then went on to shape the way people played the game. So big ideas in that one would be Hungary changing things, and we'll get to this later on, but utilizing a false nine to some extent. I think that becomes uh, a really common idea of having a mobile number nine who isn't just sort of the big one up top leading the line. You have Catanaccio embracing the idea of defensive football, negating all that attacking football, and then you have to have uh, the kind of game evolve from there and the roles evolve from there. But so much of it, the history of soccer and the history of the number nine spot, is what is the prevailing idea for so long, and then how do you counteract that? How do you defeat that like common approach, and then how do you defeat that common approach? And that's how we have continued evolution, a big one along the way being the advent or the implementation of total football in the 1970s by the Dutch, again, dating back to like the 1930s and Austria. Uh, but that then gives you more mobility. It gives you a front three. Uh, but as Joe said, you have Brazil using a front four, but kind of a front two. And I think that ends up being what is most common in the 80s and 90s when I first started playing soccer. The 90s is when I first started playing soccer, I should say, was the either the 4-4-2 or later on that 4-2-3-1 uh, the four four two, giving you an idea of like that partnership that can play off each other. Usually, one more mobile than the other is how it kind of evolved into, and then you had the one and the four two three one. Again, being that that sort of target player, and it's continued to evolve to this day. Graham, could you bring us to this present day, if you will, and just uh, describe for us what the primary roles are of a number nine as we understand it today, and perhaps like even explain, say, a 4-4-2. Are there two number nines at the top, for example? Mm -hmm. So obviously different teams need different sort of, sorts of number nines and different coaches have different ideas on, on what those players should, should bring to the pitch. And as Taylor mentions, the, the zeitgeist in soccer changes every so often and and with that ideas change on what a number nine should should do and should be but there are some responsibilities that are common for number nines that overlap over the the generation so one responsibility would be and this is a pretty straightforward one right at the top of the list score goals and finish chances for the team another one would be make runs in behind whether that's into the channels or on the shoulder of the last defender um, hold up play to bring other players into the game. So that would be something you would associate with a more physical number nine, maybe a more traditional number nine, certainly when we're talking about English soccer. Um, defend from the front. So obviously that is something 
more recently that we speak about a lot. We talk about a high press. There's been a lot of chat with Manchester United about Ronaldo not being able to implement a high press. And that is something that number nines are now expected to do more of, although you can trace that responsibility all the way back through the the decades, even to the start of the the 20th century, and then create goal-scoring opportunities for for teammates as well. And obviously, it it also depends on what the physical and technical attributes of the number nine in question are. That determines their approach in the position as well. So, for for instance, Jermaine Defoe was a number nine, a very successful one over the course of his career, but you would never have asked him to hold up play to bring others into the game. He just didn't have the physicality to do that. Instead, you want him making runs and getting on the end of chances. On the flip side, you wouldn't want someone like Artin Zuba running the channels either. You want him holding the ball and and getting on the ends of, of long balls and crosses. And obviously, we have seen combinations of those two different types of, of number nines. We've had the, the big man, little man combinations throughout the, the, the course of history. I think Jermaine Defoe was actually involved in one with uh, Peter Crouch at yeah. Portsmouth and that was that was very successful so you can have a number nine lead the, the line on their own if they've got the, the physical and technical capabilities to do that or you can partner them with another striker and you might call that an inside forward an outside forward a secondary striker but nonetheless you can have two central strikers two number nines up top in a, in a 4-4-2 for example. Now, Joe, uh, as I mentioned at the top the number nine seems to be back in fashion and we'll get to that shortly but it did kind of go away from the elite level game for a little while. And perhaps we blame Pep Guardiola for that, do we? Um, I think there is some truth to that. I think a lot of the seeds that were planted much earlier, and this goes back to what Taylor said, we can trace all this back to some Austrian dude sitting in a coffee shop, right? We Mm -hmm. can. But, I mean, there is this idea that when Pep Guardiola is coaching Barcelona... He changes things, and and you get you know a day before a big game against Real Madrid, and Pep calls Lionel Messi into his office and says, "Hey, you know we're going to play you centrally tomorrow instead of on the wing," and then that happens, and Messi plays as sort of a false nine, so a very untraditional striker. He plays, and, and Barcelona hang six goals on Real Madrid and win six two in El Clasico. That stuff happened, right? And and before that, you can see Pep Guardiola as a former Barcelona player being influenced by Johan Cruyff, who was influenced by Total Football. So you can trace these things back, but there was a while, and I would still say we're seeing some of this today, there was a while where strikers, in in terms of the big-bodied, aggressive, physical players, were not in vogue. And you had Messi playing that role for Barcelona, you had Cesc Fabregas playing that role for Spain at the international level. Even now, though, you still see seeds of that with Roberto Firmino, and, and this is maybe slightly outdated now because Darwin Nunez is there at Liverpool, but you had Jurgen Klopp relying heavily on Roberto Firmino as that number nine to drop in and link. Instead of being the, the primary goal scorer, he would drop in and link play. And instead of the nine being that, that scorer, it was the wingers. It was the wide forwards of Mo Salah and Sadio Mane being the primary goal scorers for that Liverpool team, along with some attacking contributions from players on, in other spots. So, I think Pep Guardiola and, and really popularizing that aggressive possession style did have a lot to do with diversifying the number nine skill set that, that is certainly tied together. But really, I think it's also just to do with soccer changing and, and getting better and faster and more pressing and teams wanting yeah. to sort of play this almost uniform style where you have all the big teams playing sort of the same way. And you can't really afford, you, you can in, in some circumstances, and we're almost seeing the it trend back the other way now, Ryan, as you alluded to earlier. But you can't always afford to carry a player who's not going to contribute in other phases of play. So I think that's why we saw players like Messi and Fabregas and Firmino start to become number ninth and sort of change at least the popular view of that role. 
I, th- I think number nines, quite simply, are just expected to do more in, in the modern age. And as football has gained a greater understanding of how to use possession to control matches, the number nine has had to add different aspects to their game to ensure that they can contribute more than just goals. Yeah, uh, Joe, you, you, you kind of reference it there. You can't really have a passenger in a team in the modern age anymore. And that just means that the, the number nine can't, as they might have been able to do in the past, they can't just go hang. They can't just wait for chances to come their way. They have to, to get more involved. And I think two of the best case studies in this are uh, Karim Benzema and Harry Kane, because we can yeah. look at how they have evolved over the course of their careers. Because if you look at earlier in their careers, they were very much traditional number nines. Um, in terms of their attributes, they're, they're certainly classic number nines. They're physical. They can hold up the ball. They know how to get into to scoring positions and how to finish. And, and they still do all of those things. But in recent years, they've had to do more. So both Benzema and Kane are excellent at dropping deep to conduct attacking moves. Kane is, is one of the best passers in the Premier League, he just does he does uh, as much creating for Spurs as he does finishing. So you look at two of those players, and they in a pre in a, in a previous generation in a previous decade they would have been thought of as archetypal typical number nines. And as I say, they still have those qualities, but they have to do so much more. And those two in particular are are brilliant at doing more. Indeed. All right. Thank you very much. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's explore more of the number nine. Welcome back to Soccer 101. Graham, um, Taylor covered this a little earlier, but could we just dive in a little deeper into the actual number itself? Why is the uh, centre forward the number nine? Yeah, so Taylor did mention it earlier, and it's it's customary. It used to be customary, I should say, that, that certain shirt numbers would be handed to certain players in, in certain positions. You In the modern game, you have this, the, the, the squad numbers, which is how you, you end up with Jaden Sancho wearing number 25, or Vinicius Jr. wearing number 20, but it used to be the case that whatever team was, was playing would be handed 1 to 11. And the term number 9, historically, can actually be traced back specifically to the 1933 FA Cup final, when Everton at that time had a, a striker called Dixie Dean, a, a fairly legendary player. He was he was strong, powerful, forward. He was a very prolific goal scorer at that time, and he wore the number nine shirt. And really, from that point on, because the FA Cup final was one of the the few events in English football that everyone would talk about and news of it would travel around the country they see Dixie Dean wearing a number nine shirt and the number would then become synonymous with the center forward position from that point on so when we're talking about a number nine that context is maybe important to understand why we call them that um I used to collect uh, postage stamps Graham and I fondly remember my soccer legends set which had Dixie Dean at the forefront in fact how old are you (laughs) uh I don't know how to answer that without insulting myself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you collected postage stamps and Dixie Dean was on one of them yeah yeah but so uh, in, in UK postage stamps you can only be on the stamp if you are deceased a living per- the only right, person okay. who can be on it Got is you. the re- reigning monarch I thought you grew up in the 30s or 40s or something <laughs> I've never seen Benjamin Button but Ryan are you Benjamin Button like you love Cheesecake Factory you have a stamp collection you wear sensible trousers with sensible shoes I, I have questions for you if that means I'm getting younger Tater I'll take it <laughs> I will take it um, Joe as I mentioned as I have alluded to a few times uh, the number nine back in fashion it seems so how has that happened? It seems like the game of soccer is a fashion victim in itself. And as we mentioned, there are trends that come and go in the beautiful game. Everyone kind of tries to play the same way, particularly at certain levels. And it seems like now, if you look at the very top of the game, the number nine is back. And it's, it's good for fantasy players, I'd say, because number nines have been quite hard to come by in recent 
certainly yeah. in recent Premier League fantasy seasons, because most teams only had one. And now there's a plethora of them, Joe. Okay, so before I answer the question, Ryan, I want I want you to help me because I, I need you to define what you mean by number nines are back. Yeah. Because okay. I think there's a lot of different ways this could go, and I want to make sure we're row, we're rowing in the same way. I'm talking about your big man up front. I'm talking sure. about Erling Haaland at Man City. Pep Guardiola being very much a proponent of the false nine system yeah, for 10 sure. to 15 years ago, now having literally the big number nine and the several other teams following suit. Right. Okay. So <laughs> I would I would argue, yes, Erling Holland is a big dude, and I, I'm a big fan of Taylor's recurring segment on TSS where he talks about Erling Holland bodying poor Premier League defenders. I, I'm I'm a big fan of that. I would argue that Erling Holland is very much not a classic number nine. I think Erling Holland and his rise is much more of the next evolution for number nines rather than maybe a return to where we've been. So Graham mentioned Jermaine Defoe earlier. I think about Jamie Vardy being in this category as well. There have been number nines, historically, that do a lot of running in behind. And that's what Erling Holland does. For as big as he is, he's not a guy you're really playing off of. He's not bringing you into the game. He's not hanging out and bodying center backs in the run of play. He might do that in the box as he's hunting a ball down in the box to tap at home. But he is a turn, face the back line, run in behind, and beat you with his speed kind of player who also just happens to be six foot eleven or however tall he is, right? Erling Holland, I think, is an anomaly and it is not really representative of a return to where we've been. Killing Mbappe, I think, fits in this as well. As we're recording, we just watched Juventus lose two one to PSG in the Champions League. And Mbappe's playing as a, a nominal number nine and his game and a big part of PSG's attacking game plan was chip balls in behind for Mbappe. Mbappe's not bringing others into the game, although I think he can do that better than Erling Holland. I think it's just that tall, fast players like Kill- well, like Erling Holland, Kylian Mbappe is not that tall, but really incredible athletes. I think they are always in fashion. I don't think the classic back to goal, hold up. All I do is hold up the ball. Number nines are back in style, and really, I don't think they're likely to be back in style. They're never going to go away because you always have teams like Atletico Madrid. That's a big example, but even smaller mid-table, lower-table teams that don't have the quality to really possess and take advantage of someone like Erling Haaland or take advantage of someone like almost Haaland's antithesis, which would be a false nine, to take advantage of either player on the end of that scale. All they can do is sort of hoof it up, hold it up, and try to run off that player. I don't think those those big-bodied number nines who really are more one-dimensional or at least are are more of a throwback to what we've seen back in the 20th century. I'm not really thinking that that particular style is ever going to come back. I I think where maybe what Ryan's getting at and where I think I can bridge the divide, because I agree with Joe, especially with his thoughts about Erling Holland, would be that I think the way managers have started, or maybe always, but at least recently started to play out of the press is to bypass it via long balls. But when you, I think for the longest time, that was just hoof it long, the big guy brings it down, holds it up, holds it up, holds it up, and then when there are numbers around him, he lays it off and away we go. I think what, for example, Brighton have done really well this season uh, is have Danny Welbeck as sort of like a mobile target number nine, where you can play it long to bypass that initial kind of waves of press that then Brighton committing numbers into the attack so that there are many more people around him really quickly. And so in that way, it sort of brought back the idea of you have this long ball outlet, but less of a they hold it up and they're just so physically strong that you cannot get the ball off of them. Maybe you still have that to some extent, but I think a larger thing is they are mobile in what they're bringing into the equation, still holding it up, but then also seeking to combine quickly and facilitate attacking play from there. So I think like Brighton would be a very good example of how 
the number nine, that big number nine can be utilized as like a target who then facilitates attacking play with technical precision. I think what we're landing on is maybe it's helpful. Like I have a quick list here of the types of number nine. Do we feel like we could kind of rattle off a couple just to get it? Like, cause I think like the, Initial idea would be the target number nine, big, kind of stationary. Then there's the false nine. We've already talked about that. I would say there's the mobile number nine, which is maybe what, what Joe is pointing to when it comes to Holland and Mbappe. Uh, original Ronaldo, probably an example of that. Chicharito, a very good example of a poacher, the fox in the box, finds a way to make things happen, really good spatial awareness. And then maybe a mobile target as well is the more recent one, maybe Harry Kane or Kareem Benzema, part of that. I guess there's also like a complete number nine. Uh, maybe there's a total number nine. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about those last two, but I open it up to everybody else to throw in some other ideas. I mean, we I, need I, to get to nine kinds of nine. I think that's seven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think five, you've really. covered. I think you've covered pretty much all of them. I, I think a lot of those players now. You think about Robert Lewandowski, who I think might be one of the best number nines of all time, if not the best. Yeah. He does a lot of stuff really well. He's not going to drop in all the time, but he can bring players into the game. He can run in behind. He spe- he sees space well in the box. He he fits the modern game because he is more than just one-dimensional, but he also does a, a lot of things really well, and his primary trait is still being in the box at the right time and putting the ball in the back of the net. I think, Taylor, you, you kind of scratch all the itches there with those nines, and it, it very much depends on how managers want to play and how they see the game as to and, and what players they have at their disposal as to how they're going to use that player. All right, Joe, you mentioned Robert Lewandowski as one of the greatest number nines of all time. Why don't we do a little ranking or throw some more names out there? Uh, Ronaldo, R9, surely has to be at the top of the triangle, Graham, right? Yeah. Just like his hair. Woo! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I... um... I look at Ronaldo, the original one, as as, as pretty much someone who who had it all. Um, he was ahead of his time in a sense because of of how much there was to his game. He was he was an absolute phenomenon. The, the speed that he had, the only player I've seen with that sort of speed is Mbappe, and Mbappe doesn't have, from to my eye anyway, doesn't have the physicality that Ronaldo had. So he Agreed. was capable of holding it up and bringing others into the game. And he obviously had incredible technical ability. He could pass, you know, I wouldn't say he was renowned for his passing, but you wouldn't say it was a weakness of his game. He obviously could dribble. And in retrospect, when you look back, he was the first truly superstar modern number nine. And you wonder how he would have been used in today's game. He he would have been worth, what, 250 million euros or 300 million euros in, in today's game because... You look at how um, successful Mbappe is and has been, and you, and then you add in that physicality and that dribbling ability that Ronaldo had, and it just made him. When he was at his best, he was the the complete yeah. number nine. You could you could put a ball in behind, he would get it. You could put a, a you could ask him to finish a, a chance in the box like a poacher, he would be able to do that. He could hold it up, bring others into the game. So absolutely, for me, he is he is he is top of the list. Yeah, Graham, I, I hear you because I think it was I think it was when he was with PSV, maybe that he has that one where he runs between the two defenders at full speed, and that right there, the speed to get through them is just raw speed. Mbappe has that, but it's also that both of them try to sandwich him, and he sort of rides that one. They end up bumping away from him, and he continues on at full speed. That's that physicality that he brings. I feel like he is the embodiment of the power finesse drill for people who don't know that one or have haven't practiced that one. 
It's a shooting drill where basically you get the ball like around the top of the box and you have to hit that one from distance. And then it teaches you to have like the striker's instinct of so you like smash it from distance. You don't watch it. You don't see where it goes. You're immediately then rolled one from shorter. You end up about like six to eight yards out. And your goal there is just to slot it really calmly, pass it in there, finesse it into the goal. And so you're working on your power. You're working on your finesse placement. And that to me was Ronaldo. He had both of those uh, and many other qualities on top. Yeah, I think he is He's on the Mount Rushmore of greatest ever players for me, but I think certainly when it comes to number nines, he is the embodiment for me. Wonderful stuff. Who else is on uh, Mount Rushmore, Joe? Uh, I think to, to stick more modern, Kareem Benzema and, and Lewandowski certainly are in that group. Luis Suarez is awfully close. I think he is awfully close to that. Mm-hmm. It's harder, and I feel like folks are hesitant to put players that are still active today on lists like this because they don't have the nostalgic element yet. It hasn't really been long enough for us to breathe and get the right sort of perspective. But in terms of names that are still Man. playing as a recording now, those those players are are right up nestled against the top of this list. Joe, that's a really great shout. Much as I don't necessarily want to include, include Luis Suarez, I, and I think there's a, a, an additional reason for that, because I think of him, especially with Barcelona, as that central figure in the MSN attack. Uh, he is that that number nine who can do different roles in there, uh, but it's usually in that four three three shape. But then at national team level, where he had a lot of success, it was a four four two, and it's him and Edson Cavani. And normally, with a four four two, it's going to be at least in the modern era, it's going to be defensive and counterattacking. And so think of Atletico Madrid, where you have. Diego Costa, who's going to be the target man who will hold it up, who will draw the fouls, but uh, like hold it up physically and then lay it off to somebody like Antoine Griezmann, who can then attack. You have that combination. Uruguay, not really. It's just Cavani and Suarez worked really hard and are very good technical footballers, especially in their prime. And so you have in Luis Suarez a player who could play in a front two and be really, really good, not just because of his physical attributes, or could be a central striker and do different roles there. I think he's a he's a multi-tool to some extent when it comes to number nine uh, players. So I think Luis Suarez is a great shout, Joe Lowry. Great. Many others maybe from back in the day, maybe Batistuta, yeah. something like that. Uh, Batistuta's on my list. So Batistuta and then a very different sort of number nine, uh, Rud van Nistelrooy. You can maybe mm. tell the era that I, <laughs> I grew up in and what my <laughs> formative years were in football. But Rud van Nistelrooy, very much a, a penalty box poacher um, scored some good goals for Manchester United but the vast majority of them were from 18 yards or, or less and uh, Robert Lewandowski on my list Samuel Eto'o on my list as well oh. and then I guess as the all-time top scorer in the Premier League we would we would have to mention Alan Shearer too but the thing is um, when Joe says some people are not willing to put modern players on their list I actually come at it from the other side I, I have I very much have a recency bias just because the number, the present day number nine is just being asked to do so much more than players in that position were in the past. So I look at someone like Alan Shearer, who, as I say, is the all time top scorer in the Premier League. Statistically, he's above every other English number nine in history. But I look at Harry Kane and I, I wonder, is he actually a better player? And I think there's a strong argument that Harry Kane is actually a better player than Alan Shearer. Certainly in terms of his all round game, there's more to his game. And obviously Shearer in his day had pace and can get in behind, but he, he couldn't conduct attacks in the same way that Kane does. So it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one where you have to weigh up what players have done in the past and what number nines are doing today. So is that, uh, Graham, he couldn't uh, do the role that Harry Kane does because he wouldn't drop 
drop and do the build up yeah that kind of thing p- potentially not but that's that's a difficult conclusion to draw as well because he was never really asked to do that so may- maybe mm. he would make the 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 adaptations to his game that Harry Kane has and maybe he would have been able to do that but we never really saw that from him over the course of his Premier League career because as I say the the, the position was seen in a different way at that time yeah there was a recent Totally Football Show interview with Alan Shearer where um, I think he admitted that at Newcastle um, they let him when they did running drills they let him go like two or three minutes before everybody else because <laughs> they just caught him all the time, which maybe tells you a lot about the uh, state of play back in those days. All right, uh, Taylor Rockwell, any more number nines we want to shout out? Anything else you want to say on this here episode? I love Gabriel Batistuta. That's all mm. I really have to add. I love that Batistuta, this is not related to anything we've been talking about, just that that man has one of the greatest chaos faces in world soccer. If you Google Gabriel Batistuta, like 75% of the photos of him, he looks like a crazy person in various ways. Either he looks flummoxed, he looks confused by what the camera is, or he looks incredibly emotional or incredibly angry or incredibly sad. Everything about Batistute is like amped to 11, and I love that man immensely. Graham, great shot by you. Yeah, yeah I like him too. He's one of, one, of, one of my favorites. I really want a, a Fiorentina shirt with, you know, the Nintendo, Nintendo. sponsor mm-hmm. like he wore at that time with Batistuta on the back. I've yet to source one of those, but I will find one one day. Graham, yeah, I think the- you need the crazy patterned uh, Lotto one for Fiorentina with the giant seven up on the front. That oh, yeah, that's a good one too. Good one. That's a good yeah. one too. <laughs> yeah, he, he got some good shirts. Fiorentina did well with those uh Violet shirts back in the day, did they not? More All teams right. should be purple. That's what we've said. That's that should be the major takeaway from the history of the number nine is that more teams should wear purple. Very true. <laughs> Very true. So they could have a purple rain at the front of the team. Hey, Yay, now you're talking about look what I did there. Thank you very much, uh, listener, for joining us on this soccer one-on-one adventure. And Graham Rutherford, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Taylor Rockwell, pleasure as always, sir. Purple rain. Purple rain. You're welcome. And Joe Lowry, I'm going to go and listen to a very long guitar solo now. I think you should. I think you should. (laughs) Listener, thanks again. We're back on the feed soon. But for now, catch you later. 